I believe these things have a weakness. And that weakness is weakness. Our weakness. I have witnessed them literally bypass people. Walk right around them like a river around a rock. Why? I think because those people were sick. I think they were terminal. And these things could sense it. I think they're spreading a pathogen. And they need a healthy host. But even if you're right, I mean, infecting the populace with a lethal illness is not exactly a cure. It's not a cure. It's camouflage. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And this time, since we're still in the middle of the pandemic, you know, we're doing things that are sort of uh, have echoes of what's going on in the world today. And so we're going to be talking about Max Brooks's World War Z, which came out in 2006. It's a novel. And we're also going to be talking about the 2013 movie of the same name. Notice I did not say that was adapted from it, but... It was, and we'll get to that. Uh, We'll talk about it. But to help us discuss it, we actually have uh, a guest. So, Colin, would you like to introduce our guest? Yeah. So, you know, normally I have to scrounge long and hard for months over email and Twitter and all kinds of things to find guests. Uh, And it turns out that for this particular podcast- You had me at long and hard. Say what? (laughs) You had me at long and hard. (laughs) (laughs) For this podcast, it turns out I had a guest in my very own home, my son, Peter. Hey, Peter. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? Not bad. All right. So what should people know about you, Peter? I am currently in Corvallis, Oregon. I am a student at Oregon State University studying geography and geospatial sciences. Nice. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, what are your qualifications for, for joining our podcast, though? Um, I'm Colin's son. <laughs> <laughs> and I read the book and watched the movie. There we go. That That is correct. I think the correct answer is there are no qualifications. Okay, I was just, just checking. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> That's a trick question. Better, see, better to seem overqualified. <laughs> well, for this podcast, it is required to have a pulse. Maybe not in the book or in the movie, but you know, Colin and I met as we usually do um, for Froth, and he's like, so I have a question for you. <laughs> and mentioned that you guys had talked about the, the movie in the book after watching the movie for quite a yeah. while. And so I thought... Yes, this will be good. So, uh, previous yeah. history with the material, Peter? Um, I watched the movie a couple years ago and then just read the book for the first time, I guess, three weeks ago and then watched the movie a couple nights ago. Um, nice. I read the book while we were in the car for, what, eight hours or so in one day, taking my <laughs> little brother to where he goes to school in Ellensburg, Washington. And dad did not believe that I read the book so fast. And so he spent the next day and a half quizzing me about it. <laughs> and of course, I also quizzed him about, back about it as well. Nice. And he knew everything. <laughs> I've, I've been quizzed by Peter uh, on many pop culture topics and uh, been found wanting. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All right, uh, Colin, previous history. Oh, so I read, I read the book quite a while ago. Um, I went through like a zombie reading phase where I read this, Max Brooks' other book, like which is I think How to Survive a Zombie Apocalypse. The Zombie Survival Guide, I think, is what it's officially called. There's another book, uh, which is ta- which also talks about zombies and zombie physiology and disease transmission, which I read. Uh, and then I read the CDC website about zombie transmission and how diseases work. <laughs> mm. I saw nice. the movie quite a while ago and have been disappointed ever since. What about you, James? Uh, I saw the movie a while ago and was not impressed by fast zombies. <laughs> I was dumb. But you hadn't read the book before. No, I haven't read the book okay. before. Yes, I had uh, previously read the book, World War Z, as well. And then after that, like the next month, I actually read The Zombie Survival Guide. Um, so it's like the uh, 
quote, nonfiction version of World War Z. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, while doing some research about this, I actually learned something interesting about the Zombie Survival Guide. Um, so it was written by the same author, Max Brooks, in 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, and Max Brooks has actually said that he thought that the Zombie Survival Guide was something that could be published in universe with World War Z. Right. So I thought that was kind of interesting, kind of spoofing your own book in a way. Yeah. Oh, and and I did. I, I didn't mention I I had seen the movie. I think, Colin, did we go to the, together? I think maybe we did. It's it's entirely possible. Yeah. So let's talk about the book. Well, I mean, guys, we, we could we could talk about what the story is, right? Um, <laughs> as if uh, that's a difficult thing to <laughs> explain. Zombie apocalypse happens. Right. Yes. Given the title, World War Zombie. Go guess. Yeah. Or World War Z, I guess. Right. Well, for anybody who hasn't read it, though, if we wanted to start with kind of non-spoilerish thoughts, you know, this book is subtitled An Oral History of the Zombie War. And so the book starts with you knowing the war is already over, and someone is investigating how did this start, where did it come from, and so it's told in interviews with various people. Right. So- Where's the stakes, Seth? Where's the stakes? Eh. No, the, the, the stakes are built into the individual <laughs> stories, right? <laughs> And oh. um, I was half expecting an argument from you. Right. Yeah. 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 It, it, in some of the stories, yeah. the stakes are built into the individuals. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very much. I see what you did there. Similar format to Robopocalypse, right? Where it's it's kind of stories and interviews telling what happened. I'm assuming we all had a relatively positive experience with the book. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. It took me a little yeah. bit to realize that I it wasn't so. just like uh, most books just have like a singular plot. Right. This has a singular plot that is the world war of zombies, but each interview is like a certain aspect of it from a different person, different place, different time. There's parts of it that are referenced in other parts as well, but nothing mm-hmm. as specific as what you hear from that one person. So it took me a little while to figure that out. But once I did, it really, I, I really started enjoying it a lot more. Yeah. Damn. It's actually patterned after another book, which actually exists and, and is not fictional called The Good War, An Oral History of World War II. Mm, nice. Yeah, I mean, oral histories are, are interesting stuff. You know, I've, I've, I've read a number of them on different nonfiction, actual real-life topics. But mm-hmm. uh, James, we didn't hear from you. Sorry, I think I talked over you. Oh, no. I was, just, uh, I was just remembering the drink that I wanted to make for this podcast, and now I forgot to make it. What was it? <laughs> it's Cuba <Cuba> Libre. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't do it? You get you. No, no. You're gonna light up your cue. One quarter tobacco. One quarter tobacco. Right. <laughs> yes, I, I'll have some homeopathic tobacco right here in this glass. Yes. <laughs> mm. Delicious water. <laughs> Homeopathy is bunk. It is. What are you drinking there, James? Total domination IPA. There we go. I'm See that, that's an appropriate. Thing, yes. Right. All right. Well, freeform discussion. What do we want to talk about about the book, Colin? Do you have Do you have thoughts? Yeah, it's really unique. You've. Uh, it's almost like a found footage book. Yes. If you had compiled this from lots of different video cameras all at the same time, it has that mm. kind of vibe to it. Right. It's wonderfully written, really mm. well written. It's not high prose or anything. You're not, it's not going to win a literature contest. Um, mm-hmm. But like Peter mentioned that parts of the book refer to other parts of the book. And sometimes you get a bit of an interview now and then a final interview later. It's yeah. uh, it's international in scope. So it's not like he just interviewed uh, American uh, soldiers and, and civilians. He talks to people literally from every continent all around the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
For those of you who don't know the author, uh, Max Brooks is the son of Mel Brooks, if I remember that correctly. Yep. Um, he also, I think, guest lectures or something at West Point Military Academy. Oh, nice. Like you were saying, right? The it is the World War Z, right? And so, so it does take place over over a large period of time and on in many different forms. But the other thing that it does really well is it kind of zooms out for macro kind of stuff where he, it's discussions about policy and what kind of policies were in place or not in place that caused mm-hmm. the the outbreak to really spin out of control, which has no bearing on anything today. Um, <laughs> um, and, and then it'll zoom in, you know, really personally on the experiences of, you know, a family that went North to try to avoid the zombies on the idea that, well, the zombies are going to freeze up and we'll be able to get away from them. And then, then you realize the difficulty of obtaining food in a frozen area. Or, 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 and yeah, living or generally in the north. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Talking about similarities to, to our day, um, small spoiler time. Yeah. There's a pharmaceutical <laughs> profiteer who decides to sell right. a uh, pseudo cure, right? A vaccine. Like phalanx. Yeah. yeah. Sell a vaccine yeah. for the zombie virus. And because it didn't start I think off more being accurately, widespread. he decides to sell a placebo. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because people really want to just feel better. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But the conditions that existed in the government to make that happen are remarkably similar to the ones that are happening right, right now. Yeah. The echoes of the COVID response are denial and minimalization. You know, no, nothing's happening. No, well, it's happening, but it's not a big deal. It's just in India or it's just in China. Um, you know, the fact is that the first case, patient zero, is kind of in China. Mm-hmm. But then also so, the fact right. that the virus was originally called African rabies. So right. um, that's another important thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so in terms of the structure of the book, right, it, it does go through, it varies in its scope of each kind of chapter that, that happens. You know, it'll, it, it might be a, a soldier or a politician or, you know, a civilian giving the interview, but it does kind of, it does go through in chronological order, right, where it talks about uh, well, the chapters are like warnings, blame, the great panic, turning the tide, home front USA. Um, mm-hmm. They're not so much. I don't think there's so much as chapters, just overall themes from the times the interviews were collected. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know, highlights, lowlights. What would would you like about this one? Particular chapters, particular stories, particular media that you took it in with. Oh, I, yeah, I, I took it in as an as the full cast audiobook. Yeah. Which it's has, phenomenal. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's cool. Which yeah. has, yeah. like, we won't, yeah, we won't name roles, but some people you hear are, was it Mark Hamill, mm-hmm. uh, Masioka, uh, Jerry Ryan, I believe the author himself. Yeah. Max Brooks is the interviewer. Yep. Yep. Very, very cool. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's how, that's yeah. how I did it this way, this time as well. Now, Colin, did you read it in print as well? Yeah. Okay. I listened to it and then I got the, got the book and just thumbed through it to kind of remind myself of a few places. So if, if you guys all had to, um, pick like one particular favorite part of the book, uh, let's start with Peter. Uh, not so much favorite, but one of the most like weirdly, like I, I my favorite thing about this book is how well researched it is. Mm. Um, so the battle of Yonkor, Yonkers mm-hmm. is the U S government's attempt at a big stand to show, um, 
to try and help public opinion, try and help raise morale that turns into a colossal failure um, due to some of the technology they had, the tactics they used. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I think uh, the character interviewed for this is a general who was at the battle and he talks about how the zombies, they don't really have offensive weapons unless you get within arm's reach. Right. And so they had soldiers dug in in like trenches along city ground. They were like surrounded by tanks. Mm-hmm. And he mentions something about how like we have like these weird like high tech weapons that are meant to like intimidate the enemy. Well, right. you can't intimidate an enemy that has no higher brain functions. Mm-hmm. So it, he talked about like they're using like depleted uranium rounds. Like, you know what that does to a zombie? Absolutely nothing. They will keep walking with this big hole in their chest. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that in zombie fiction, well, it's one of the reasons that I fundamentally object to fast zombies because the terrifying things about zombies is, is not how fast they move. It's how relentless they are. And so mm-hmm. like if you, if you sprain your ankle or something, and so you're you're hobbled, maybe you can just stay ahead of them, but you're going to wear out, and they're not right. And yeah. and this book definitely doesn't doesn't lean into fast zombies. There's one moment when I thought, oh, they're talking about fast zombies, but they were talking about in the Yonkers <laughs> uh, chapter. There's civilians running away from them. Yeah, and and um, because because they're looking at them through like thermal scopes, and they're like, "Wait, how come these are hot?" Um, right? It's yeah, because they're they're living people. And that that chapter is, of course, Mark Hamill. Yes, all. that is yeah. The general's voice by Mark Hamill, which is mm-hmm. I, I listed part of that briefly, um, but it's 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 really cool. Yeah, I listened to it today on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> so good. Nice. Now, following that, it's following that vein. Another good part was kind of towards the middle of the book where they're talking about how people started to turn against it and start to like, so there's like surviving, Mm -hmm. like there's like the fall where you kind of lose everything. And then there's learning how to survive and then Mm -hmm. adapting to that new reality. And that part where they're adapting to that new reality, where they're talking about before, like the big American, like a first bat, like offensive battle, Mm -hmm. uh, the battle of at hope, ironically, um, Mm -hmm. talk about how they adapted the military, and the systems they had set up to make sure that this would work and mm-hmm. how they changed everything. And that's, there's a bunch of chapters. There's a government agency they have set up right, um, to try and revamp the war, like basically create like a war effort thing. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, the, I think it's called like, um, like stressed or distressed or something like that. Mm. De-stress. Yeah, de-stress. Yeah. De-stress. Yeah. So just learning about how they started adapting and then like, yay, humanity, we're winning kind of thing. Like we're going Mm -hmm. to. I I like the chapter, the interview about the lady pilot that had to walk out. Yeah, that was really cool. I don't want to spoil that one. I feel like that one, that one should be (laughs) left to people to discover. Yeah. That was one of my favorites though, too. Yeah. Yeah, But like, that's, that's the kind of thing, you know, I'd like to see in an adaptation because it's a, it's a meaty part for a, for a uh, female. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's something else about the book. I mentioned it was international, but there the interviews mm-hmm. men and women. Uh, it talks about racism, discrimination, even during the zombie war. When you think you'd need yeah. everybody on hand, yeah. Um, I was reading. I, I guess I was kind of reading that one in the uh, in the screenplay yesterday, right? Where there's the the boat trying to escape in India, 
and yeah, and yeah. the guys, the Indian guys on on the boat are saying, "No, we'll only take people from the north. We don't want it. Don't want anyone who's too dark or from the lower right. castes." You got to think. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. We're all human, <laughs> yeah. you know. I mean, colorism is a real problem in in lots of different parts of the world. Um, yeah, not not just in the U.S. Well, also that just like ableist and disabled too. Like two of the main mm. characters in these interviews, one of them is a uh, guy in a wheelchair who's in a neighborhood patrol kind of thing, mm-hmm. going back kind of clearing neighborhoods, and the other one is a blind uh, guy in Japan. Right. So Gardner, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like it crosses gender, it crosses race, it crosses. Yeah, that dude is red. Yeah, <laughs> that guy was awesome. That was pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about you James any highlights uh, I was thinking even with the wheelchair guy like the wheelchair saved his life yeah otherwise he would have been bit, bitten in the ankle mm-hmm. yeah James I was curious what you thought about the uh, the Japanese submarine interview uh, Chinese Chinese I think it was Chinese submarine yeah 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 Chinese submarine interviews yeah what about it <laughs> I mean it was pretty interesting actually um, and they were pretty spot on about the pretty much the only limitation on a submarine is food for the crew right uh, you could stay underwater and keep going for 20 years if you had to well longer the for los angeles class submarines the reactors are rated for 20 years Mm. and after that they change them out for a new one Mm. basically um yeah Mm. so it was pretty slick that they were able to pull up more and provide power to the island that was pretty rad yeah Yeah. yeah. i was yeah how you probably could totally happen (laughs) Could, could that really happen can they make that much energy yeah Wow. Mm-hmm. Cool. It's a, I think our reactor was a 120 megawatt reactor. Wow. Yeah. That'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, even there, there was, I can't remember. See, this is the thing with having read the zombie survival guide and, and this book, um, you know, there's talk about the fact that the zombies don't have to breathe. And so if they get sunk in the water, that doesn't mean they're neutralized. That means if you go in the water, right bad things can happen to you. And if you're on a submarine, you might, you might surface and have your hole completely covered with zombies. It's actually mentioned there a couple of times in the book as well. Okay. Yeah. 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 They talk about doing like periscope sweeps and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Well, there's even a, a, yeah, a big, uh, a big part of the end of that story is about a zombie getting sucked into one of their intake valves. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you think about the end of the book in general, you know, the it's fascinating he not only thought about how to fight the zombies, but how it would affect our culture to where every spring there's now zombie sweeps. Every place that right. freezes, they have to go and, and look for zombies that have been trapped and are partially thawing. And mm-hmm. any place with a coastline, they have continuous patrols waiting for zombies just to walk out of the water. Literally walk out of the water because water is not an impediment when you're dead. <laughs> right. Nope. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Yeah, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did kind of wonder, it's like, are the zombies more or less buoyant than normal people? Because I was kind of thinking like, there's some places that have like those like glass bottom boat tours. And see so if you're like right. out in the middle of the ocean, could you like look down or if it's like, there's a couple spots in like Oregon where you can look down, there's like 150 feet of clearance. You can see like the mm-hmm. bottom pretty clear. It's like, could you see like yeah. people walking or they'd be like floating just below surface or... Like kind of in the middle. Yeah. I, I think they would, um, they'd probably go kind of dormant with, you know, if there was a lack of stimuli, anything, yeah. anything for them to chase after. Though in the zombie survival guide, I, but would they float or would they sink? Though? I, I think Both. they would sink. Right? They would, they would tend to sink just because the human body with no air in it isn't particularly buoyant. That's true. Yeah. It, 
in the submarine episode, it mentions that there were some people that died with life jackets on and they were floating, but also right. some of the recently dead right. were still kind of juicy and they were outgassing. And so they would float oh, for a while that until make, they that makes sense. Then sink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I remember in the Yonkers thing, right? He talked about how there was this stereotype of zombies in business suits, but you know, a lot of them were like they had been <laughs> in hospitals, and so so they had had gowns on and that kind of stuff, and you could see their wounds and, and that kind of stuff. Um, I can't remember where this came from, Brutal. but somebody I remember somebody making the observation: if being a zombie means you're essentially starving. How do any zombies have clothes on, or at least pants? <laughs> like you think they should all all be like penguining? <laughs> I, and then they'd fall over and be stuck. Yeah. I, I also heard a heard a joke that said to um, as a as a mortician and to prepare for the zombie apocalypse, I'm tying all the dead shoes together because that way, if the zombie apocalypse happens, <laughs> it'll be hilarious. <laughs> that is kind of funny to you mention there's a i think there's several places in the book where it mentions people crawling so mm-hmm. yeah. it'd be funny for a minute you're like oh crap yeah yeah well and there's also a scene where i think the zombies are starting to thaw and they come across a zombie whose bottom half is frozen into a lake and he mm-hmm. is so rotten he just tears his top half off and he starts crawling around they're called right. draggers or something like that yeah mm. right yeah they were like the worst scenario because they hid hide in tall grass and things like that yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'd be a long recovery from that. I think the book mentioned it takes place like ten years after the start of the after the start of the after like the Great Panic. I think it was. It said like five yeah. or ten years after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even then they still mention it's like, oh yeah, we're still not done recovering. <laughs> it's like we're we're we finished, but we're now right. yeah. There's still a bunch of places like Iceland is still one of the most heavily infected. Yeah, no one knows what happens in North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> North Korean moment. Yeah. So this, this was the thing, um, kind of moving towards talking about the platonic ideal of the adaptation of this movie, um, or of the, of the book to a movie. When I was thinking about it, I was, I was trying to think, um, you know, how do you get, how do you have a main character who's there on the ground at the outset, you know, to have it be really, really personal and then also have him be the person doing the interview. And the answer is that you have to have a time jump at some point. Um, yeah. Now, of course, you wouldn't mm-hmm. have to do that. You don't have to have it be that personal. I think that's one of the bits of brilliance about the J. Michael Straczynski screenplay. As they Which is not the movie. Personal. It is not the movie. It is not the movie. <laughs> yeah. It brings up the question, how do you adapt something that has no, no plot, no central characters, mm-hmm. uh, no character development? It's just a bunch of stories. And it's, it's an anthology series. Pretty much. Sure. Yeah, it's it's like the Project Blue Book from 1970s, where you had the UFO investigators going around getting story after story after story, mm-hmm. or the X Files, or yeah. something else. Dad and I, yeah. every now and then, Dad and I, and I think sometimes Seth, when we're playing disc golf, uh, we mm-hmm. have the discussions about what is the best way to adapt something. And uh, there's like a bunch of things that should not be movies, but should be t- like TV shows, like a limited edition series kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Dad and I were talking about how how could you adapt this, and I said. I feel like this is something that would work really good for this because you really just need an interviewer and person they're interviewing and you can do this over Skype, Zoom, whatever. <laughs> and so I said like, yeah, you could publish this as like four or five minute YouTube episodes. That's just like a five minute interview with people. Yeah. I think what you just described reminds me of that uh, Star Trek thing they were trying to do way back when that short project where they were like interviewing people from the Klingon Federation war. I can't remember the name of oh. it though. Prelude to Axanar. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. It was like a Kickstarter. It's with an A. Yeah. <laughs> Kickstarter project, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was killed. Because that's exactly how they did that. Yeah. yeah, they were interviewing all the veterans from the the war. Yeah. Was, was, that was cool, actually. It right. was. Well, so let, let's, let's back it up and start. Are we done talking about the book for now? We can, we can bring we it can back We can talk in about the book for another hour because that's yeah. just how cool yes. it is. Yeah, it is. You know, now, nowadays with prestige television being kind of almost like the premier form of entertainment now, um, especially during COVID when nobody's going to movie theaters, at least movie theaters. What did you say? Prestige television? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? So prestige television is, is like you kind of think of short series, um, you know, 10 okay. episode series. Like Tiger um, King. Oh, okay. So right. so stuff like Yeah. I didn't realize it was called prestige television. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, some of it was like if if you go back to the the kind of the beginnings of the cable television kind of taking over the Emmy Awards, um, with stuff mm-hmm. like Sopranos and Kirby and Enthusiasm and Yeah, and Breaking Bad, even something like that. Th- those tend to be called prestige television versus just that like mass market um twenty six episode uh CBS oh, track. Like sitcoms right? or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Chicago insert noun, you know, Chicago emergency <laughs> services. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Chicago uh, wastewater and sewer treatment. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, like now that, that that's kind of really huge, but back in 2006, that was kind of in its beginnings, right? There, mm-hmm. there was some of that, but um, the, the way, if you were going to bring something to the screen, it was going to be a movie. And so that's what we end up with is a movie. And, it's a tortured history. Uh, and so I wanted to mention, I, I put out on Twitter um, from my Hugo's thing, I mentioned that we're going to be doing this on the next episode. And our buddy Michael chimed in and said, the movie shouldn't have been titled World War Z. And you know, <laughs> we've talked about that, right? And it, it's a completely understandable sentiment. The problem becomes, if you have optioned World War Z, and you've created a screenplay for it, at some point, you know, it kind of qualitatively becomes no longer World War Z, but you've still optioned it. And you can't actually then go forward with that movie and call it anything else because sure of can. the option. I, well, I guess you can, um, because you can retitle things like Edge of Tomorrow, right? Instead of All You Need Is Kill. Uh, the good right. example well, is iRobot. I yeah, I was just about to say that. No, that is not a good example. And th- this is my point. Um, that, that was never a good example. Um, Michael actually mentioned it. And the reason it's not okay. an exa- a good example is that iRobot was based on a script that was entirely separate from the actual book iRobot. And then when, when they actually got the rights to use the title iRobot, they pulled that screenplay in, padded it out with some Asimovian stuff and released three laws. it. But it didn't start, it didn't begin life as an adaptation of iRobot. Huh. So in many ways, that film is not an adaptation of iRobot. Whereas this one began life with a screenplay attempting to do justice to the book World War Z, and then went through mm-hmm. rewrites and other rewrites and reshoots. And then re-reshoots. And became this other thing that we have. Um, and uh, it's a fascinating case study. <laughs> but it's a different, it's, to me, it's a, it's a very different case from iRobot, just because of the way it began. Yeah. You know, I think I think the movie could live in the World War Z universe. Yes. Yeah, I agree. In fact, I remember coming out of it and thinking going, you know, that's more like a prequel to World War Z. Because totally. What he did was give them a weapon to use to start fighting the war. So not a prequel, yes. but like halfway through. Um yeah. yeah. I just I just thought that uh, I mentioned homeopathy earlier. 
<laughs> what we end up with is homeopathic World War Z. <laughs> yes, <laughs> where it's been it's been mixed and divided so many times and diluted that uh, there's no World War Z left in it. Well, it's also mentioned that after the movie, there was supposed to be a sequel. That was, I guess, like you mentioned, like the 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 the, the offensive versus the defensive mm-hmm. reaction, and yeah. it officially got canceled in 2019 due to budget reasons or something like that. Yeah. So there was supposed to be a sequel. Well, who knows? And, yeah. And the movie, as we got it, had a very different ending to it that didn't really set up the sequel. It, it'd be like trying to make a sequel to Ender's Game now, trying to make Speaker for the Dead. It didn't set up Speaker for the Dead, so you can't you can't really do that. You could try and like force yeah. something. Yeah, it yeah, had an ending, yeah, but, but you could try to force something out of it. Yeah. At this point, I think so, if anybody was going to try and adapt it to something, television would be the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Though I'd also be very happy to have it just be the J. Michael Straczynski screenplay. Yes. <laughs> so why don't we talk about that? James, did you actually read it? No, I didn't read it. I didn't even see it until I logged into Skype. This uh-huh. just now. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, can I describe well, this? You yeah, found it. it. Yeah. Um, So let let me say one introductory thing about it is that I feel like the screenplay, Colin, you and I were talking yesterday about, um, Mm -hmm. I was thinking, Hey, you could have, you could, you could basically do this. And Jerry Lane, the character from the movie, which is a a new character could just be, could be the interviewer. And you're like, no, 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 take Jerry Lane completely out of it. (laughs) I want him gone. (laughs) Um, And it turns out that JMS did precisely that. Right. He made him into that point of view character that we could follow through the movie. Yes, he um, did. Go ahead, Peter. So um, after we watched the movie, Dad and I were doing some just surfing around about this. And we learned that there was an original screenplay published in 2007 or 2008. Mm-hmm. And then a few years ha- passed. And then a different guy came in and rewrote a different version of it that was eventually made into the movie. Um, and that even that went through the third act was rewritten twice because yeah. the first guy they hired to rewrite it did not finish it in time. Right. Dang. Um, <laughs> I, I also learned something very funny about why they had to reshoot the third act. So the goal was to shoot the big climax of the movie. Uh, the, it was the climax of the movie was to be set in Russia. And so right. they went to Budapest to film it, but the Hungarian counter terrorism center rated the fair weapons. Because the, the production company <laughs> didn't notify the authorities about 85 prop weapons flowed on on, pass, on private plane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Dead serious. <laughs> yeah, I saw a video oh about gosh. that as well. That's what I call military intelligence. <laughs> so, who, yeah. Yeah. That, that ended Jesus. up putting a delay in, right? They still did shoot a lot of that, that Russia part. And you, you do see some of it at the end of the movie. You know, the, the voiceover at the end, you, you see some flashes of other footage that they did shoot for, oh. that, for part of that Russia campaign. Huh. Um, but, oh, uh, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, but not all yeah. of it. They, they obviously didn't get, get all of that done. Like I was saying, the, I, I meant to continue pulling on this thread was they, what he does is, and this, <laughs> I don't know, I'm feeling like maybe we should talk about this in how we should fix, how we could fix the actual movie. And maybe we could talk yeah. about the movie first. <laughs> I, yeah. Why don't we do that? Um, yeah. Move over to talking about the movie. Colin, do you remember what you thought of the movie the first time? I was massively disappointed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a In that CDC reading that I did way back in the day, it mentions that the fast zombie scenario is, is end of life for the human race. Yes. If you have fast turn zombies, zombies that when you – if you become a zombie very quickly, and if those mm-hmm. zombies – are at least as fast as humans. Mm-hmm. It's it's a no win situation. 
Right. Uh, the zombie the zombie uh, apocalypse is is not a war of attrition because every time they kill somebody, they get more people, and every time we right. kill a zombie, we just lose ammunition. Yeah, it's Red Rover for them, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, and so I was very disappointed to see rapid turn zombies and fast zombies. Yeah, knowing yeah. that there was no way that this in the real life that this would ever real life. However, yeah, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's no way that the humans would ever survive this, and so they had to so they had to invent a way. And right. the way they invented was uh, the zombies don't kill people who are going to die. Right. Which doesn't make any right. sense. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's not true. That's not completely true. It is. Come on. No. I mean, if, 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 this, if the intent of the zombie was to spread their disease, why would they bite somebody who's about to die and not spread their disease? Well, because zombies don't have cancer, so they don't care if you have cancer. Zombies don't have pulmonary systems, so they don't care if you have bacterial or viral infections. Well, in theory, their lack of health could impede their turning to a zombie in the first place. Mm-hmm. Or or combat the disease that they already have. I do have a justification for it, but I, I'll hold off until Peter says whatever he was going to say. Yeah, sorry. Um, so I understand making it, yeah, like fast, fast moving zombies and fast turning zombies – um, I can see making fast turn zombies, people who turn into zombies faster for the mm-hmm. sake of movie. Cause in the book, doesn't it take what a few days or something like that? It's depending pretty on variable. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. variable. Um, in the movie, there's this theme of 12 seconds that you see right. four or five different times, but I actually like where they played out with this because there's a point where he first sees somebody turn in 12 seconds and mm-hmm. there's like this weird, like countdown or something like kind of like ethereal, yeah like radio thing. And then later he's fighting zombies. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Or like an ad. Yeah. But later he's fighting zombies and gets some of the zombie goo. I I can't really call it blood because it's not blood. It's like sludge kind of (laughs) gets in his mouth. And then he runs to the edge of the building and stands there for 12 seconds. Right. So I actually thought that was really well played out. I did Um, too. Yeah. So yeah. And back to kind of overall thoughts and I will, I will talk about my justification for the stupid stone in a river thing. Um, I think it's stupid, but I, I think it works also. Um, so I do like the movie and, and I liked it the first time I saw it. It's a terrible adaptation of world war Z, but it, it kind of like iRobot, right? iRobot's a much better movie than this. I have to admit. Um, yeah. Yep. I, I think this one is <laughs> fun and watchable. It's pretty tense in places. It moves along. It's not boring. Um, That's true. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's perfectly enjoyable. It's a fine movie. It's just not a good adaptation. Um, I felt like there was, it, it, it moved fast, but mm-hmm. it wasn't super fast. It's it, like, there wasn't like parts where it felt fast and felt slow. It just kind of felt like monotone in terms of its pacing sometimes. Hmm. There were moments to breathe. I yeah. Mean, you, it's like, you need that, but. Yeah. There are definitely times I thought like, oh, this is an exact kind of copy with a different setting than. It's like the scene yeah. at the Air Force Base in Korea is pretty much the exact same thing as him in the apartment building. And yeah, then I did like that. <laughs> I, I did too. The, the bicycles were <laughs> the bicycles are pretty funny. <laughs> Squeaky yeah. bicycles. Well, well, I, yeah, and like my favorite characters in the movie are like those, uh, you know, those Green Beret or or oh yeah, you know, Marine Recon, whatever they were at that base. Those guys were awesome. Yeah. But what about you, James? Uh, I can't remember if you said you saw the movie before and you, and then you just revisited it. I did see the movie before and I was kind of meh when I saw it the first time, the fast zombie thing I thought was dumb. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. What about this time? 
I still think it's dumb, okay. but I'm still on, I'm I'm kind of on board with the sick thing. I guess I can. To me, it makes sense. Well, okay. it's very it's very it's very natural for things in nature do not want to try and carry on their genes with things they don't think will carry them on. Right. So it's it's there's tons of examples in nature where this can very much be the case, mm-hmm. and so it makes sense for me that the zombies wouldn't want to bite sick people that they don't believe will carry on their genes, their yeah. their sickness, I guess. Because the zombies, the zombies don't know they're infecting people and turning them in ten seconds. Right, they're just biting them to get them to turn. Precisely, and I can't remember if it's in this book or if it was in the zombie survival guide where it talks about how animals will not attack zombies because, like, the animals know they're not good to eat. Yeah, um, and so the, so the that's problem- that's a kind of example of of that sort of thing. What, what was your what you're saying, Colin? Well, the other problem with the zombies smelling or knowing that, that there's somebody who is sick and dying, mm-hmm. is that humans can't do that. Right. They, yeah. No, they have an advanced he, sensor array. <laughs> zombies <laughs> Zombies are limited by everything that we can, that we can do. Bull crap, I've never breathe. seen a human move that fast. Except breathe, eat, drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Humans cannot yeah. smell that well. Right. Humans I mean, also can't rise from the dead. The virus hijacks the human nervous system and can, you know, and, and we only use 10% of our nervous system, Colin. <laughs> and, and all the rest of it is unused scent receptors. Yes, it is. Advanced sensor arrays. The fast transformation, the biggest problem with the, the idea that you can camouflage yourself by, by getting a bad virus or something or, or having terminal cancer or a bad knee in the case of the, the one soldier or bad leg, bad foot, whatever it was. With the fast transformation, that doesn't make much sense, right? Because they can they can acquire you, and the virus still gets passed on pretty quickly. But the movie actually does hang a lantern on the idea that the transformation has been accelerating, where the early transformations and, took hours. Yeah, they weren't all fast either. Yeah, they were variable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and so I do like that it at least was smart enough to at least mention that the transformations weren't always <laughs> that quick. Right, but when uh, when Brad Pitt injects himself at the end of the movie, he's going to mm-hmm. live for more than hours. We right. think we don't know. Yeah, we think so. And you know how long <laughs> does he have to wait? And and they mention that right? How long does he have to wait before this virus is on board enough that the the zombie guy out the door? Who, by the way, is one of the highlight performances in the movie? Um, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> how long until he can detect yeah. that? Right. Well, then it's also thing. It's like if it's such like a like concentrated dose of something, it would kill you that fast anyway. Right. Well, and I did like that, you know, there were, there was um, my, my favorite part of the movie is that, that uh, WHO part, which Peter, you pointed out that we have a um, Peter <laughs> who <Capaldi>. doctor. <laughs> yes. Peter Capaldi listed as who doctor. Um, and then later played doctor. <laughs> Actually, this is during the same time. During the same time, he was the doctor from 2008 to 2013. No, he was earlier. He was later than that. We, we may have looked just last night. I'll, I'll look it up right now if you don't. I'll, yeah, just to make sure I'm not wrong. You are wrong. Peter Capaldi is one of the most <laughs> recent doctors. So while Peter's looking that up, uh, despite my not liking it very much, it was a successful movie. It, it yes. doubled its, uh, its budget, which is a great mm-hmm. way to make movie or money in a movie. And it has a mm-hmm. 66% positive score at Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. So it's not... It's not a horrible movie. It's just not, it's nowhere near in the ballpark of the book. Right. Right. Have you guys looked up any of this stuff about what the original third act was going to be? Uh, something involving mm-hmm. a lot of guns. Something involving a lot of guns, but there, there was going to be a time jump where um, Jerry ended up in Russia 
and getting conscripted into into their you know their squads that got decimated occasionally <laughs> and actually used the proper use of decimate right one in ten is, wow, is killed right um, yeah and so then he he was fighting over there for years and in the meantime Karen I think that was his wife's name was back on the ship and had to shack up with Matthew Fox in order to stay on the ship so <laughs> that's not a cool thing to do um, no I mean I, I'm I understand it on her part but. Like the other guy should just be like, no, you can, we can pretend you can share my, my living quarters and every, we'll tell everybody you're my girlfriend, but not cool. Not, not, not cool. No. Jack. Yeah. Sorry. You were right. Um, he appeared from as Dr. Who from, uh, 2014 to 2017. Yeah. Okay. I don't watch Dr. Who, but I do know who the doctors are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then the movie, the movie was going to end with Jerry coming back to the U S and getting ready to, you know, like he was going to come in on on like the West coast and be prepared to fight his way across the country. And that's where that movie was going to end. So it was going to end on kind of a bleak note, mm-hmm. but they decided not to do that. And the entire WHO plot, I believe is, is what was changed. Yeah. It did so, feel really kind of, it's like, it felt tense, but there wasn't like this big, like climax point. It felt like. right. Yeah. Well, and his process for getting there, <laughs> I mean, he, he he crashed in a plane. <laughs> well, then he had like a something. He, he was he was basically Mark Watney, right? <laughs> Just stabbed to the abdomen. Um, according to our, um, according to my mom, who is a registered nurse and teaches nursing, um, mm-hmm. he would not have survived. So, oh really? Uh, unless he, yeah, sepsis. depending, yeah, he would have died of sepsis. It also depends. Well, because it says he's out for like three days. But it also depends on whether he got antibiotics quickly. They, they don't have sepsis in World War Z. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> they have zombies instead. We don't have to worry about this. I like that he didn't at least immediately pull the thing out like people always do. And I'm like, uh, that thing might be keeping you from bleeding out. Maybe leave that in place. Right. Yes. Let a medical professor, mm-hmm. a professional uh, take that out. Yes. I, I, I'm going back to the WHO scene. Um, I did find it a little funny when – there's like a couple drawers and he just picks one randomly. And they said, yeah. uh, one of the people watching him, cause he's getting watched by security cameras. They're like, well, what if this works? He's like, well, if it was, if it was from the drawer on the left, he's dead either way. So, right. <laughs> and then they never really tell us what drawer he picks from. So yeah. But they show him getting a shot, which is presumably some kind of uh, vaccine. Well, yeah, or something. that's true. Of course there would be people, uh, in the world of world war Z who'd refuse to take the camouflage vaccine. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And they would end up as zombies and we could shoot them in the head. It's probably better that way anyway. <laughs> That's true. Natural <laughs> selection. Yeah. So the movie kind of goes through things that raise the stakes, right? Where, where there's what, four minutes before the zombie outbreak actually begins in the movie. And then if then that, yeah. Like, yeah. And, and they end up in that, in that scene, right? Where he gets the stuff in his mouth and, and then, you know, he, he ends up, Escape, escaping the city on a helicopter, right? Ends up on the ship and getting recruited back into the Star League to defend the frontier against Zuer and his Kodan Armada. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I like the fact that there's like their expert guy who's going to, who's going to figure this out uh, and blows his own head off. <laughs> in Korea. That happened this week. A guy over on the Oregon coast was showing off his, his uh, gun and he shot himself <laughs> in the hoo-ha as he was putting the gun back in. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> well, that yep. is 
classic. Why was Darwin. he putting the gun in his waistband? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. No idea. Um, the Israel scene, you know, naturally it's the religious people who get everybody in trouble. <laughs> but I feel like it's one of those things like where it happens so fast. Like Jerry gets there and then immediately some moron picks up a microphone. When Who doesn't know that the zombies are attracted to sound? Why? Apparently why them. <laughs> why would there not be cameras or something that would show the zombie buildup on the outside? prior to them breaking through yeah that's uh, right yeah there were posts on the they wall were deploying teams there it's just it was too little too soon or too slowly right I'm- but then it also does show that the movie goes through talking about how they're they kind of like they're kind of like me- meandering around like they're kind of moving slowly until they get like like some major stimulus which apparently is sound for them and so then they start right. running or it was just hollywood trying to illustrate the walls don't work <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, once you get up there, you can't get down. And ladders. Maybe a rope. Yeah. Maybe a rope. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Oliver. The scene on the plane was kind of cool. Yes. And okay, so I should I should mention that I watched it in 3D because Ooh. when I bought our Blu-ray player, it happened to be a 3D one and the 3D that uh, the TV that we have also is 3D. And it's pretty I mean, it's fine. It's <laughs> Did you feel like you were being sucked out of the plane? No, but actually, like the coolest shot was when when they were in the that cargo plane that took off, um, and kind of the view out the back. Oh, uh, right, with right. The inception horns yeah. going, you know. Oh Aww. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was talking about the passenger plane when they tried to leave when they left oh. Israel. Right. Yeah, that was one of the reshoots actually, because oh, originally really? that didn't happen. Yeah. Ah, in the screenplay, there's actually a similar kind of scene that happens in the screenplay, yeah. um, yep. which I thought was pretty cool. Because there's a, there's yes. a, definitely parts where it kind of mentions something that are similar to the screenplay, yeah. Um, and then well, does nothing when, with it. When you set it up on the uh, the descent of man kind of chart of where what this movie evolved from, right? You Pretty can much. see that it definitely took some stuff from that original screenplay, and that's the usually the way it goes. You don't want it to jettison everything. Yeah. But there, I I think I wrote down a couple things. Oh, it has the uh, the tenth man speech uh, from the guy in Israel, right? If yes. nine people agree, the tenth man's job is to disagree, which was cool. Yeah, it definitely expands upon that because um, in the book, the major theme is that Israel is one of the first to actually take this threat seriously. Right, and then it, it talks about how there's nine people, there's ten people talking, and then nine of them are agreeing, and then he has to be the one who says, "Oh yeah, no, this is kind of real." For I'm going to investigate this as it's real, and it goes through how um, Israel his plan went, and then they escalated their response and started finishing the wall that they were building. Right. Not that the wall mattered in the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anything further that we should say about the movie? I think we mentioned all the good parts. There weren't I many. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so like I said, it, it evolved down from a more noble species. It devolved in, into what yes. we ended up with in 2013. It was a devolution. Yes. It, it was a dead. decent movie. They happened to have the same name as a book. Yes. Yeah. We'll add that um, to the list of many others. So, James, any final thoughts from you on on the movie before we talk about the screenplay that you didn't read? <laughs> no, no, I'll go. I'll go ahead and listen to the screenplay I didn't read. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, Peter, I think you wanted to talk about what you liked about the screenplay. Um, so the book is a series of interviews, and yeah. the movie is decidedly not. Um, but the screenplay right. takes the interviewer and gives him his own backstory. Like in the book, there's yeah. the story of the girl, her sister, and her parents who travel north. Yes. And it turns that character, the that girl's dad, into the investigator who's... Right, into Jerry. Inve- yeah, into Jerry. Mm-hmm. Spelled incorrectly. Where's a Gary? It's spelled incorrectly. It's Larry. 
<laughs> Larry. <laughs> Gurgich, yes. Gingrich, yes. and then. Gingrich. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. that was cool because that, that, like, the kind of most tragic part of that of the book, right, is that story about survival in the north, right, where yeah. they've fished out the lake that they're near and there's no food left. And so eventually, of course, you know it's going to resort to cannibalism, but it's a really yes. slow reveal in the screenplay, which if you've read the book, you know it's coming. But um, yeah. And I like the fact that it keeps that as kind of the central thread um, where something happened there and now one of his daughters is pretty screwed up. Yes, and so then throughout the rest of the, of the screenplay, he's going around and doing the interviews, much like he does in the movie. Or sorry, like he does in the book. Fewer of them, of course, because yes, you can't fit that plot. many of them into two hours. But I feel like, and this is what I wanted to talk about, about not being slavishly faithful to the book, but really, really adapting the heart of the book. And yeah. that screenplay, the J. Michael Straczynski screenplay, really does that really well. At least I feel that. I agree with you. Um, in the screenplay, at least, they talk about how the heart of the war isn't the war, it's the people fight in the war or affected by the, around yeah. the war. The movie kind of leaves that out. Yes. It's like everyone he talks to was either like, that he talked to really was like a military person. Like the only person he has like that quote unquote interview with is mm-hmm. the guy who was in Israel. Right. And then the CIA guy who was under David arrest. Morris. Yes, him. The guy with no teeth. Yep. Toothless Joe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's uh, something else. Sorry about the movie. Uh, there was an unrated version. There is no new information. It's just slightly more graphic scenes of the stuff you already saw. Right. Like um, when the soldier, when he cuts the soldier's hand off, it shows him actually slicing through a hand. There's like so many ways in the movie. Like, I don't know why I'm not talking about the movie now, but there's so many ways the movies, the movie like briefly talks around stuff that happened in the book. Like in the book, one of the main themes or like questions is North Korea just disappears. Nobody knows what really happens. Right. But in the movie, it kind of talks about how they saw like, Oh, these things are getting bitten. So let's just run up our population and move everyone's teeth. Right. There wasn't really a battle of Yonkers in the movie. In the screenplay, they moved the battle of Yonkers to Franklin square in Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I wonder if that's just because JMS has some, knowledge of that area I, I don't know why that would be changed yeah oh also um the screenplay talks about the redeker plan yes and you get to meet paul yes. yeah you do oh do you yeah <laughs> yep. he's kidnapped briefly and then he kind of goes off radar because he's getting yeah. watched by people at the un who don't want yeah. him investigating well, this stuff so yeah. one, of, one of the key differences i mean the key difference between the screenplay that we have, the book and the actual movie is that in the book and the JMS screenplay, you still have the, I'm traveling around trying to tell the story of what happened. You don't have that at all in the 2013 movie. It it does not exist. He's, he's going around trying to figure out how to fix right. it, how to, how to solve it. Yeah. But that's, that's not what's going on yeah. in the book. In the book, it's already over. The movie is an action movie. The screenplay is a detective story. Yeah, that has some well, elements of action and thrown in. Well, and I like that um, the, the guy in uh, Israel, in the screenplay, he says, do you want to know why I think this report of yours is important? Not to illuminate the mistakes. Those are inevitable. Corruption, foolishness, short-sightedness, yes. They must be pointed out and punished. But more than that, we must bring with us out of this war one singular truth, the truth my people learned in Dachau, at Auschwitz, Buchenwald, and Treblinka. No matter how hopeless the situation, no matter how high 
that black implacable wall of death we are facing might be, we find a way to get past it. We climb over it. We go around it. We tunnel under it. We hope our way out and we think our way out. We did not just shoot our way out of this mess, Mr. Lane. We thought our way out of it. Yeah. And then Jerry says, I don't know. I certainly didn't see a, see much thought leading up to the war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Prescient. Yeah. Yeah. What else about the screenplay? It takes a lot of the, st- it takes several of the stories and then changes their location slightly. Yeah. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he interviews, um, there's a couple stories of a border guard in Eastern Europe and that story gets moved to the Mexican U.S. border. Right. However, in the, in the screenplay, um, the origin of the virus gets changed from kind of interior land of China to Taiwan, I believe it was. Mm. Which then also begs the question, why'd they go to Korea? Right. It doesn't beg the question. It invites the question. It, it does. <laughs> <laughs> it raises the question. So was the, was the narrative of the screenplay post-war or pre-war or during the war? Well, yes. Both. Yeah, um, all of both. them, because because they they place Jerry still at the very kind of at the beginning of it, where he gets a warning, he need to mm-hmm. get out, and you need to get out now, and that's right before the Franklin Square okay. yeah. Yonkers okay. thing yeah, yeah, yeah. happens. Right, they go north, so that that's they're part mm-hmm. of that family, right, and and that's where you get the radical plan. Uh, I don't I don't want to give away that because that's that's a good reveal in the in the screenplay, um, but yeah. then from there some time elapses. Eventually they're rebuilding their, their lives kind of post-war mm-hmm. almost. And then yeah, it mentions one of those neighborhood patrols there too, going yeah. through and walking like, was it uh ZD okay. or something like that or NZD? Right. Right. Where on they the write door. on the doors, you know, yep. to say, oh, there's, right. there's a couple non-zombie dead in here. Um, you know, question mark. Cause we don't, mm-hmm. we don't know. We haven't opened that door in 10 years. You don't, you know, the, the movie doesn't do any kind of examination of how things went badly. I mean, with fast zombies, you don't need to explain it, right? Because no. because it's it's, it's such a force of nature that there's there's no way to really overcome it. Yeah, and so you don't mm-hmm. have that examination of well, hey, didn't you have this information? Um, couldn't you have done something with it? <laughs> you know, didn't you have the radical report four years ago? And I like this uh, this bit from General Casey in the screenplay. He says the problem yeah. was magical thinking. The politicians, the brass, they saw what was coming and refused to believe it. We told them their strategies wouldn't work, and they refused to accept it. The facts don't matter. Global warming, Katrina, AIDS, evolution, you've got people deciding something's not a threat because they don't believe in it, because it's inconvenient, because they think it's against policy. That's magical thinking. And when you enter the realm of magical thinking, anything can happen, even zombies. Yeah. Or COVID. Or COVID. Yeah. Or COVID. Yeah. It's so much better than the movie we got. Yeah, and maybe that's uh, it's emblematic of what we thought of the the movie that we talked more about the screenplay that never got made. <laughs> yeah, itself. <laughs> so in that sense, it is kind of similar to iRobot in that way, right? Because on that episode, we officially right. included the screenplay as as part of what we were talking about. Yeah, this one we didn't. But I was just thinking about that. I feel like we did that for iRobot. Yeah. Yeah. We so did. well, the, the library had the yeah. screenplay as a book. Funny thing about the movie is half the epiphanies hap- um, that happened to Jerry, who's the guy who played by Brad Pitt, happen while he's looking over his shoulder. Yes, in slow motion. <laughs> in slow motion, or like slow yeah. down, kind of doing doing a little mm-hmm. little uh, hair twirl. You know. <laughs> All right, uh, we should probably rank them. We should rank. Can them. we though? Let's Can let's we? not include the screenplay just because James didn't didn't read it. <laughs> Although I know where he would put it anyway. <laughs> I'll show you where you can put. That's it. That's what she said. Uh, Peter, your rankings. 
Like I need to ask. Book by like a thousand miles and then the movie. Okay. Colin? Book movie. Yeah. James? Yep. Book movie. Yep. Book movie. Seth? Oh, Starframe! <laughs> <laughs> Unanimous. There was not a lot of mystery uh, to this one, but uh, yeah, yeah. You know. I, f- I feel like it's barely rankable, given that it's not even an adaptation, really. Sure, it but is. That is. It's just. It's just a homeopathic <laughs> adaptation. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, Peter, thank you for uh, joining me for this interview that your dad and James also attended. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> barely. I think you were our uh, one of our more vocal guests, which I appreciate. <laughs> Thank you. Now go do your homework. <laughs> it's week zero. I have nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank, thanks for joining us, Peter. It was fun. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Yeah. How about uh, we sign off with a traditional Pavement Pounders blessing, right? Works for me. All right, everybody. Th- thank you for listening, and we will let you know on social media what we're going to do next time. Uh, and until next time, may the road rise up to meet you, and may the book always fall open to where you left off. Bye. Discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. Worst. Did I say worst or worst? And worstest. Welcome to Oregon, buddy. Welcome to Oregon. (laughs) After years, I have converted you to the true way. Oh, oh, like a (laughs) cross? Yes.